Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. So Mandisa is an American gospel and contemporary Christian recording artist, and her her career began, I don't know if you know her, but her career began as a contestant in the fifth season of American Idol, where she finished in ninth place. Well, she has a song entitled Overcomer, and that song goes like this, the lyrics are like this, is staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio, and I imagine some of y'all in your mind right now are singing that song. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right, looking for a ray of hope. Whatever is, whatever it is you were going through, I know he's not going to let you get the best of you. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight until the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. Everybody's been down, hit the bottom, hit the ground. Oh, you're not alone. Just take a breath. Don't forget. Hang on to his promises. He wants you to know you're an overcomer. Stay in the fight until the final round. You're not going under because God is holding right you right now. You might be down for a moment feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you that you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. The same man, the great I am, the one who overcame death is living inside of you. So just hold tight. Fix your eyes on the one who holds your life. There's nothing he can't do. He's telling you you're an overcomer. Stay in the fight until the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment feeling like it's hopeless. Then he reminds you that you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. So don't quit. Don't give in. You're an overcomer. Don't quit. Don't give in. You're an overcomer. Don't quit. And don't give in. You're an overcomer. For the believer, these words should give us joy. They should give us great encouragement and great comfort to know that we are overcomers. They should give us hope because we know That because of our relationship with Christ, because of our faith, we are overcomers. We need not fear. Our faith in Christ has made us that way. Our faith in Christ has made us overcomers. Well, John was writing also to overcomers when he wrote this letter. His readers were also overcomers. They had put their faith in Christ. They were believers in the Son of God. This is no new content we're going to see this morning. In fact, we're going to see the love and we're going to see the obedience, the things that we've dealt with throughout this letter that John has written to his readers there in the Asia Minor area. And by being overcomers, they were living a victorious life. 
As overcomers, you and I are victory. We are, we, we're all, we've already won the battle. And it's through our relationship with Christ. It's a life of joy, a life of freedom, ultimately because of their faith. And it's because of our faith as well. So the point this morning is this. John reminded his readers that they could overcome the world through their faith. And for us as Christians, we need to be reminded of that as well. As Christians, we can overcome this world, and it's through our faith, our faith in Christ, that we do that. So John gives us four characteristics of someone who is an overcomer. We're going to see those four characteristics this morning. If you have your outline, you can follow along with your outline. Number one, number one is the believer's saving faith. The believer's saving faith. Look at the first part of verse one. He says this, everyone... Who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, John has dealt extensively with love and obedience throughout this letter. We've seen that over and over and over again. We have seen this theme addressed several times. Both love and obedience have been obvious characteristics of the one who truly knows God. The one who truly believes in the Son of God. The one who truly has that saving faith. Obedience, again, is a direct indication of our love. If you remember, those who love God are going to be obedient to God. And part of that being obedient to God is loving one another, loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And John has mentioned that over and over and over again. But here we see an added characteristic. John adds faith into this particular uh, characteristic thing that he's dealt with. So we've got faith now, love and obedience. We're going to see as we walk through here. This faith in particular is saving faith. Saving faith. In fact, John here speaks of all three working together. Faith, love, and obedience. And all these characteristics are ones of a true child of God. Now, before we move any further into this, we need to understand a couple of things. John here is speaking of saving faith. Was there a difference in belief and faith? I mean, we see in this passage, John says, believe in verse 1. He uses the term faith in verse 4. Is there a difference in belief and faith? On one hand, there is no difference between faith and belief. And in fact, in the New Testament, they're often used interchangeably. The Gospel of John, in fact, never mentions the word faith. He never mentions at one time the word faith. In fact, in John 20, 31, he says this, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may live life in his. It speaks of biblical belief. It speaks of saving faith. The English usage, however, when we think of it in the English terms, faith has a deeper meaning than belief. Okay, think about it. Belief is often an intellectual nature, an acceptance of facts. If you were to ask somebody, do you know who Alexander the Great was? Well, yeah, I believe in Alexander the Great. I believe he was a real person. Okay, that's an intellectual fact. I believe that that individual was true. I believe that that individual was real. Abraham Lincoln, the same way. Healthy foods. I believe that there are foods out there that I could eat that would make me more healthy. I don't do it, but I believe that they are out there. Or certain facts even about God. Do you believe in God? I believe in God. 
Do you believe in heaven and hell? I believe in heaven and hell. The difference is not necessarily in the terminology. The difference is in the the commitment or the trust. Okay? The commitment or the trust. Someone might say, I believe that God created the world. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But that person is not willing to put their faith in that commitment. They're not. That person is not willing to put their faith in that belief. Remember what James says in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good, he says. What does he say? Even the demons believe. Okay? The demons believe. So it's more about commitment. It's more about trust. Think about the pew you're sitting in. Most of you, when you walked in the service this morning, you believe that that pew you're getting ready to sit down in was going to hold you up. True? You believed it. But until you put your faith in that pew, until you put your commitment into that pew and set down into that pew, you don't really know whether that pew is going to hold you up or not. So when we think about faith and we think about trust, although there are faith and belief, they're used interchangeably. The difference is not necessarily in the words themselves. It's in the commitment. Okay, it's in the commitment. Belief is oftentimes just intellectual knowledge. But faith is that wholehearted commitment. It's wholehearted commitment. So John here, he's dealing with saving faith. He's dealing with folks who had already put that wholehearted commitment into their relationship with Jesus Christ. That saving faith. Believe there, it speaks of a continued faith. A faith that has already been placed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's that saving faith, that biblical faith. But notice who the subject of that faith is. Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus is the subject. He's the object of that belief. He's the object of that faith. Christ there, it means the anointed one. The Messiah. Remember now when, when the Jews heard about Jesus as the Messiah, they were thinking of a, a conquering king to come and get them out of bondage of the Roman Empire. That was their idea of the Messiah. That was their idea of the Savior, the anointed one. But here John says, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the one who left the glories of heaven. Jesus was the one who took on the form of mankind. Jesus was the one who suffered and died on the cross, was buried and rose again on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for the children of God. This is the one you put your faith in. This is the one who we get saving faith from these were the ones that were born of God. These were the ones who had spiritual sense, which consists of the regenerating and the quickening anew and enabling the powers of the natural man by imparting to him new life. These were the ones who had been born again. Those of you sitting in the pews this morning, if you've accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior, you've been born again. You've been regenerated. You've received that new spiritual life. And that's what John is speaking with here and speaking about here. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. The victorious life is one that is characterized by a saving faith. Saving faith. Remember now, this is a faith that is a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus as Lord and not just Savior of your life. This is a genuine saving faith and it's evidence of the new birth in our lives. 
And genuine saving faith is more than a mere intellectual belief of facts. It is wholehearted commitment to the things or the person our belief is in. In this case, our wholehearted commitment is in Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So he's talking about that saving faith here. But he goes on. He goes on to give us our second point this morning. Again, we've talked about belief in Christ. We've talked about that saving faith. And that leads us to our second point. Number two, the believers manifested love. The believers manifested love. Look at the second part of verse one. And everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. Again, it can't be stressed enough. It can't be stressed enough how much of a role love plays in the life of a genuine believer. We've talked about that. God is love. And those of us who have had that saving faith, those of us who have had the new birth, we have God living within us. We have love living within us. And that love we are to give to other people. We're to show love to others. A love of God and a love of fellow believers, it goes hand in hand. This will be another evidence of those of us who are truly children of God. Because we love one another. We love one another, even those who are hard to love. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ. John, again, he reminds us here that this is where we see the moral test. That the love of God and the love of one another. Remember, John is uh, has not told us uh, in, uh, if he's not told us enough in this letter that our ability to love others comes from what? Our relationship with God. That's where it comes from. So those of us who have that relationship with God, those of us who have that saving faith, okay, we have the ability and the power to love one another. Listen, and we don't have an option. We don't have an option. And John reminds us of that. That saving faith, those who have received the Spirit of God, God is love. Okay, We've received God through that saving faith, and we receive His love as well, and that love powers us to love one another. Remember, His love is perfected in us. The power to love others comes directly from our love of God. So when the believers manifested love, what John is speaking of there is that because God loved us, First, we've accepted him as our personal Lord and and Savior. God is love. We've received God's love. We manifest the love of God in us that has been perfected as we love one another. It's visible when I love my brothers and sisters. I'm a child of God. People see that when I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about it. Maybe the reality is, is that we don't love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ because we're not truly genuine believers maybe we know the facts about god maybe we even quote the facts about god but we're not true genuine believers we may even say that we love god but there's no real and there's no true genuine new birth because you can't see it manifested in my love for my fellow brothers and sisters in christ turn with me to the book of luke Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that one? Perfect example of the love that we're talking about here. That love manifested to others. 
Drop down to verse 29. It says, But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, talking about the lawyer we see in verse 25, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, uh, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, a priest who you would think would manifest that love to others, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, same thing. When he came to the place, he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews, they didn't jive. Okay? They didn't jive. They didn't like one another. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound his wounds, pouring oil on, on oil and wine. Then he set him on his way, on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Jesus is telling us, you go and do likewise. Love one another. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Show your love of God. Show that you are true followers of Jesus Christ as you love one another. So love, it's a necessary element for living the life of an overcomer. The true believer not only loves God, but will love their fellow sisters and brothers in Christ as well. And the love of God, the love of God, listen, it's seen, it's seen as we show love for one another. That's the evidence. That's the evidence in the believer's life. So not only is there a love of God required, but John also gives us another characteristic of the overcomer this morning. The believer's obedience. The believer's obedience. Again, we've seen love already in this passage. We've seen obedience in these verses here. Look at the second part. Uh, look at verse uh, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So not only does John say that love is a prerequisite of the true believer, love is a prerequisite of the one who is an overcomer, but obedience is as well. And again, you notice that John has labeled love for faith first, then love, then obedience. Okay, Because without faith, we're not going to love. And without love, we're not going to be obedient. Children obey their parents because they love their parents. We do the same with God. Obedience specifically to the commands of God. He's talking about those commandments. The principles of God's word. I like to call them the SOPs for the child of God. The standard operating procedures or the standard operating guidelines. Those of you in the uh, in the public service know exactly what I'm talking about. Those are the guidelines that you and I follow. The words found in scripture. It's God's word. We're being obedient to God's word. In this case, our love is manifested in our love of our fellow believers and in our obedience to the commandments set forth by God. Notice John uses the word and. 
in that passage. He uses and. Love God and. And. Okay. Obey His commandments. He doesn't use or there. You can love God or obey His commandments. You love God and maybe obey His commandments. That's not what John says. He says and obey His commandments. In other words, we show our love by our obedience. Our obedience. Obey there, it translates to observe. It means to carry out or to execute the things which the law commands. Psalm 119. If you want to, if you want, and I know it's a long, it's a long, a long book there, Psalm 119 is, but you want to talk about God's commandments. The whole book, the whole book talks about the commandments of God, the precepts of God, the testimonies of God. Psalm 119.4 says, You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Okay? But we need to consider this. Our obedience is not out of compulsion. In other words, I don't obey God because uh, there's just something, another rule, and another regulation I've got to follow. That's not what John is talking about. Our obedience comes from what? Our obedience comes from our love of God. And because we love God, and we have God's love perfected within us, then we are obedient to God's love, to God's commands. And He tells us that we are to love one another. And so we love one another. But our obedience comes from our love. Again, children are obedient to their parents because they love their parents. We want to be make our parents happy. But love also and the law are complementary. You notice that in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Notice here it is our love for God that John is referring to, not God's love for us. God has already shown His love for us when He sent His Son Jesus. We've accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. We receive the love of God. It's our love for God. Our love for God is synonymous with our obedience. John says he keeps there. It means continual process of constant obedience. Something to note, though, is I think that there's a misconception about living the Christian life. I think people think as Christians, all oh, you Christians, you have to obey all the rules and all the regulations. It's a life of, of, of following a set of rules and following a set of regulations. We have to check a box. I went to church today. Check. I had no bad thoughts today. Check. I didn't go anywhere I shouldn't have gone today. Check. I helped out at the homeless shelter. Check. I gave my tithe today. Check, check. The Christian life is not all about living and obeying a set of rules and regulations. Think about that. Think how much anxiety that would create if you spend all your time worried about the rules and regulations found in Scripture. Trying to obey all those rules and regulations found in Scripture. Yes, we're supposed to be obedient. Yes, we're supposed to follow those rules and regulations. But the Christian life is not about that. It's not about setting out to, okay, I've got all these check boxes. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to check off and then I'm all good. 
John says the commandments of God are not a checkbox for us to follow. In fact, they are not a are not a burden on our life at all for the true Christian. The commandments of God are not a burden. They bring great joy and they bring great freedom to those of us who are followers of Christ. There were basically 613 commandments or Jewish laws the Jews were to follow. We see those in Genesis through the book of Deuteronomy. These laws regulated all aspects of the Jewish life. In and of themselves, these laws were not a burden at all. They were not a burden at all. They were handed down from God and they, they were obedient to God because they loved God. The problem came when man-made religious traditions were added to these existing laws. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. They added all these, all these regulations onto the existing laws. And the fact of the matter was they didn't even obey them themselves, but they made everybody else follow those and obey them. They forced the people to do things, even uh, the ones who made up these additional uh, traditions that they weren't doing themselves. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, he says, for my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The speed limit is not intended to be a burden. For most. It is intended to provide a means of protection as we traverse the various highways and byways. No no trespassing signs are not meant to be a burden. They're to keep you safe and the property owner safe. I heard a story once of a that that kind of illustrates this point clearly. Think about a dog that's in a fenced in yard. Within the confines of that yard, that dog is completely safe. That dog is completely free. That dog is cared for. That dog is safe. That dog can frolic and run about till his little heart is content. And he has nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. He's all taken care of. But consider if that dog were to jump the fence. And get outside the confines of that fence that he's been, he's been in. The, 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 the care and all those things. He might think to himself that he's even more free, but in fact, he's truly not. The dangers he didn't face inside the fence, he now faces outside the fence. The safety he had inside the fence, he no longer has that safety outside the fence. Where is he going to find his next meal? His master is no longer there to feed him, so he's going to have to find a meal somewhere. He would face things outside the fence that would test his freedoms. And might even tempt him to do something that might eliminate his freedom altogether. Jesus told the Jews who had believed in him. He said this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. And the truth, the truth will set you free. It's in John chapter 8. One commentator says this. He says, just believe on Jesus and love each other. That's what it's all about. That's what Christianity is all about. That's the heart of Christianity, the essence of Christianity, that we believe on Jesus Christ and that we love one another and keep his commandments. That's it. You have it all summed up right there. Back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, 1 through 3, it says this, Blessed, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, 
Again, there's that faith, their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways, keeping the commandments of God. Christians, we're to apply the divine directives of God to our lives because we love God and he has commanded us to do that. The commandments of God are the standard they're the plumb line, if you will, for the life of the true believer. And as Christians, we are to use God's word in our everyday lives to guide us to direct us to holy living, to be more like Jesus. There's one final characteristic that John gives this morning. The believer's power is power to overcome. Power to overcome. Look at verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We all want to be overcomers. We all want to be overcomers. These last two verses should be very encouraging to us as we, as true believers because we are overcomers. We have the ability to overcome. We've got all it takes to overcome. And I'm sure John's readers would have been very encouraged as well. So let's look at several things from these last two verses. John speaks of those born again. Again, he goes right back to that saving faith. Right back to those who have been born of God. These were true believers. These were true believers. These were the ones that had the new birth. These were the ones that were born again that John's talked about over and over and over and over in this Letter. These were the ones who believe that Jesus is the Christ. These were the ones who love the Father. The ones who were born of God. But not only that, they were overcomers. They had overcome the world. Can I tell you this morning that only true believers have overcome the world? Again, John has given us a picture of two distinct people, two distinct groups. The children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God are controlled by God. The children of the devil are controlled by the world. You can't overcome something that you're being controlled by. They're not going to overcome the world because they're inundated with the things of the world, the temptations of the world. All those things are surrounding them. So only true believers can overcome the world because we have something so much greater and so much better and so much more powerful living in and through us. And that is the Spirit of God. That is the Holy Spirit. So only true believers, those who have had that saving faith, those who have been born again, those who have been have received the new birth, can overcome the world. Overcoming three separate times in this verse. Notice that he uses that word three separate times. And what have I told you before about when words are repeated in Scripture? That means there's a significance to those words. John wants you to get the point. He wants us to get the point for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is that that overcomes the world? John wants us to know as believers, we are overcomers. We have overcome the world to conquer, to have victory, to have superiority, to uh, unconquer uh, the, the or uh, conquering power. Listen, it's ultimate victory. It's ultimate victory over our sin. It's ultimate victory over the effects of our sin. 
The conquering army who has victory after victory is the picture here of overwhelming success. Is what John is writing about when he talks about overcoming the world. The world simply is it's Satan's worldview. It's his, his system. His system of deception. His system of wickedness. His system is the invisible system of demonic and human evil that Satan operates to capture the souls of men and women and for hell. But believers, we are conquerors. We are victors. We have superiority over this powerful and destructive world system. We have superiority over Satan. We have superiority over sin and corruption. Romans 3, or 8.37, Paul writes this to the church of Rome. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because it's through Him who loved us. It's through our relationship with Christ. And it's our faith. Here John uses faith. That saving faith that we talked about earlier. Here again we see the the interchangeability of belief and faith. But this is that believing faith. That saving faith that John talks about. That wholehearted commitment to Christ. And a relationship to Jesus. Those of us who have accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior. The faith is a strong and welcome conviction or belief. That one, Jesus is the Messiah. And that two, we have obtained eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to spend eternity in the kingdom of God. And remember, it's never gained by human effort. There's nothing you and I can do. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. It's all through Christ and what He's already done. And we can rest in that as overcomers. Remember Gideon? Gideon was an overcomer. Gideon was an overcomer. The Israelites, if you remember, had been ravaged by the Midianites and the consequences for their for the for consequences of their disobedience to God. For seven years they faced invasion after invasion after invasion. By the Midianites, the Amalekites, and eastern foreigners, they'd come and ruin their crops and destroy their cattle. They'd cry out to God, and God would hear. He heard their cries, and he sent Gideon. Gideon had already been a proven and mighty warrior. But however willing a servant that uh, of God Gideon was, he also needed some assurance. He also needed some assurance that God, in fact, called him into his divine service. Remember, God was sending Gideon into battle. A battle that would put Gideon at a great disadvantage and would require great faith on the part of Gideon. Before entering battle, Gideon's troops numbered 32,000. 32,000. But in obedience to God, he reduced them to 22,000. From 22,000, he reduced them down to 10,000. From 10,000, God reduced them down to 9,700, leaving him with reduced that hundred men. Down 9,700, leaving Gideon with just 300 men. 300 men to go to battle against the Amalekites, the Midianites, and the eastern foreigners who had many, many more warriors than that. But Gideon and his army of 300 
overcame the army of thousands. Why? Because Gideon was faithful to God. And God was faithful to Gideon. The battle was a success. Gideon's faith made him an overcomer. And your faith and my faith makes us overcomers. We have overcome the world. It's already been done. It's already been done. For those of us who have accepted Christ as personal leader and Savior, there's nothing else we need to do except rest in the fact that we are overcomers, love one another, and be obedient to God. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But thanks be to God who is in Christ, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. It doesn't matter the size of our army. We have something greater than our army on our side, and that's our faith. That's our faith. It is through our faith that we have the ability to overcome Satan's world system. Faith in Christ and the dedication of our lives to Him make us overcomers. And it is through this relationship and the power of this relationship that believers can overcome the world that believers have overcome the world. So as we close, I want to remind you of Hebrews chapter 11, often entitled the Hall of Fame of Faith. We read about great men and women of God and the things that they accomplished for the Lord. The one thing they all had in common was this, as the writer of Hebrews says, he says this, by faith, Noah. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Moses. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. So Christian, put your name in there this morning. By faith, so-and-so. By faith, so-and-so. By faith, so-and-so is an overcomer. It's by faith. By our faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never been born again. You've never had that new birth. Maybe you believe in God, but you never put your faith in God. That wholehearted commitment. I want to offer you that opportunity this morning. Some in here may be asking the very same question the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas. And this may be you this morning. He said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas told him the same thing that I'll tell you this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.